0: Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. So here's the question. Which is easier? Rule keeping or relationship building, which is easier. I mean, you can have this debate over lunch if you are bored and don't have anything else to talk about. But here's, here's the thing. All of us have a tendency, if you think about it, everybody has a tendency to gravitate towards rule-keeping because rule-keeping is so much easier. You, and this isn't just a, a church thing. Just think about any organization that you're a part of, okay? Your, your families, that's an organization. Your family, your workplace, your school, whatever. Um, every The gravitational pull of every organization is towards rule keeping uh, because rule keeping isn't messy rule keeping can stay really impersonal i mean you you get this you've seen this in, in rule keeping it's just black and white we have rules you do you don't you do you don't and i don't have to even think about it and i don't even have to relate to you really i can just you know you break a rule i can shoot you an email i can send you a letter you know i don't have to i don't have to talk about it with you because it's just black and white it's simple there's no mess with rule keeping. And you can know, and some of you, you live in this and it frustrates the fire out of you and I get it. You can know if some of the organizations, whether it's your neighborhood organization or your workplace, you know, whatever, that one of the ways you know that they tend to gravitate towards rule keeping is because they believe the solution to every problem is a policy. You ever been a part of a group like that? It's like, Charlie over there does something ridiculously stupid and instead of just looking at Charlie and saying, you better never do that again, all of a sudden they roll out a new policy you know, for everybody and you're like, we didn't all need that policy, just Charlie. And then the next thing you know, the policy manual is about this thick. I mean, that's just, just the way it works because again, it's far easier to focus on rule keeping. Relationship building, well, that requires conversations. That gets really personal and let's be honest, that can get really messy and difficult, can't it? I mean, when you get into relationship building, no more is it black and white. Now it's, we've got to sit down and I've got to listen to you. I mean, what I think you did, Charlie, was stupid, but I want to listen to you and try to figure out your point of view and why you thought that was a good idea. And so I've got to take the time to listen and understand your perspective, and then I've got to try to find common ground with you, and we've got to figure out what our shared values are, and then I've got to help you understand and be very clear about the expectations. That's way more time-consuming on the front end. Just make a rule, you know, just tell everybody there's a rule, well, but the problem with that, you know that because you've you've been in that world. Whenever you're a part of an organization that focuses on rule keeping over relationship building, it becomes extremely impersonal. It actually eventually begins to burn or erode the relationships with the people that you want to have relationships with. Now, this isn't just true for you know families and neighborhood organizations and workplaces. Uh, the The culprit of all culprits is the church, right? Because in religion, this is what it's always gravitated towards. Because it's easier. So it just gravitates towards rules. And here's the way it looks with Christians. Well, God has these rules that I need to follow. And if I follow them, I'm good with God. And then here's kind of what we worked out. This is such a great scheme. If I follow them, I'm good with God. If I break them, I just go to God and tell him I'm sorry, and then I'm good with God. Well, how convenient. You know, it's like this is really simple. So everything's good between me and God. Meanwhile, and this is why I say this whole thing is just kind of a mess. Meanwhile, if you make it all about keeping rules between you and God, then I get to ignore all the people around me. I can treat them any way I want to treat them because you're not part of the rules. It's just whatever I need to do to make God happy, and then I can treat you any way I want to treat you. And then along comes Jesus, and again, if if you've never thought of it this way, reread the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read them through this filter and through this lens, because he stepped into a world where every religion was about rule-keeping, and he showed up and he said, no, 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 we're throwing the rules out. We're not going to operate this way. People matter more than policies. People matter more than rules. And so he instituted a very different way to think about a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to go, okay, if if you're going to keep all the rules and think you're good with God, but you're treating people around you this way, well, I'm not happy with you. I mean, Jesus gets very unhappy when we mistreat people that he gave his life for. This is why the first century followers of Jesus, and you see this reflected in all the New Testament writings, the first century followers of Jesus They understood and they stressed over and over again this idea we've been talking about in our current series. This idea that we get to choose whether we follow Jesus. I mean, all of us have the freedom to do that. You can opt in, you can opt out. Jesus doesn't force our hand or twist our arm there. But if we decide to follow, we don't get to choose. We do not get to choose how we follow. It's just not an option for us. We don't get to choose how we follow. We don't get to choose to Pick the rules that we want to follow and say, okay, I'm going to follow them. And then, you know, kind of craft the religion or, you know, craft the way it works to where it fits our lifestyle. And then set aside everything else and set aside everybody else. It's not an option. As a matter of fact, Jesus showed up. And we've talked about this so many times. But he showed up. And at first, when he was asked, what's the greatest rule? What's the greatest commandment in the law? At first, he gave two answers that were really the same answer. He said he pulled out the Jewish covenant, you know, he pulled out the Jewish law. And he said, well, out of the 613 different rules in our Jewish law, there are only two that matter. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, they're one and the same. And then he said, all the, all the law and the prophets, which is his way of saying all the other rules in the Jewish covenant. All the other laws and prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, you don't even need the other 611. If you do those two, it will take care of all the other rules. You you won't break them if you just love God and love people because you can't do one without the other. And then, if you remember, on the night of his arrest, he simplified it even more because he realized his followers still were not getting it. And so he looked at the 12 guys and he said, Okay, I'm gonna give you a new command because this isn't going well. So we're just gonna, you know, we're putting an end to the Jewish covenant. I'm gonna give you a brand new command. I want you to love one another. And they thought, well, we're good. And then Jesus said, no, no, okay, well, let me redefine love, okay? You don't get to define what love looks like for you because if we all define love, we all feel like we're loving. He said, no, here's what love looks like. As I have loved you, now you must love one another. So he said, okay, I am the model. I'm the standard. You just treat other people the way I treat you, and everything will be fine. You don't need any more rules. You don't need anything else. If you follow me and you do this, you will become like me and you will not be focused on rule keeping. You will be focused on relationship building, which is the intersection of this, where I think all of us lean forward a little and go, well, I would like better relationships. I would like richer relationships. And, you know, Jesus' premise was, if you will just follow me, it will have a significant impact on the quality of your relationships. And you see this reflected again, in the writings of the New Testament, Paul, when he was writing to the Colossian Christians, he talked about this a little bit. And we're gonna read it in just a second. But before we do, here's what I wanna encourage you to do, okay? As we read this, he gives a list of qualities, and it'll, they'll all get tied together at the end, but he gives a list of qualities of what Jesus' followers should demonstrate in their relationships. So as I was reading through this, I, don't, I passed, but I didn't pass by much. You know what I'm saying? You remember those tests you used to take, and you were like, D is good enough. I kind of felt that way when I read through this. So in order to share my misery, when we read through this, as we go through them one at a time, you don't have to tell anybody, okay, and please do not elbow the person next to you when you find one that they should do better. But what I want you to do is I just want you to ask yourself, okay, would I give myself a red, yellow, or green on this? How am I doing in my relationships with this? Red, yellow, or green? And you can kind of self-evaluate as you go through it, all right? So here's what Paul wrote. He said this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is just his way of saying what I'm about to describe is the way those of us who are followers of Jesus, who follow our king, this this is how we should act. This is what we should look like because this is what Jesus looks like. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, I think you want all of these qualities to be true about you. But the way you go about trying to develop these in your life is maybe different than the way we Jesus followers will. He goes on, he says, all right. As God's chosen people, I want you to clothe yourselves with, and I want to pause right here, because this is what I find interesting. So many of us have the idea of, well, once I put my trust in Jesus, you know, and I accept him as my savior and forgiver, then everything's good, and whatever God does in my life is up to God. And Paul would look at you and say, actually, it's not. You have a, you have a part, you have a significant part in the kind of person you become And what God does in your life. There's absolutely a part God plays, but there's a part you play as well. And if you don't cooperate, God is not going to force his hand in your life. And so he's writing to them, by extension he's writing to us, and he's like, here's your part. These qualities I'm about to mention, you can actually choose them. He says, you clothe yourself. You don't have to pray about it. You say, God, just please change my heart. You know, it doesn't work like that. You have to choose to develop these qualities. And as you do, you meet God's spirit, you meet God's power, and he gives you the ability to become this kind of person. So here's a list of qualities he gives us. All right? He says, Close your, clothe yourselves with, first of all, compassion. And this is why I didn't like this list, because I flunk on this one right off the bat. Some of you may be like me. C- compassion, compassion is more than just, oh, I feel bad for him, and you move on, okay? Compassion is, no, no, no. I'm going to put myself in your shoes, and I'm going to try to feel what you feel and meet you right where you are. That's what compassion looks like. Compassion is, and this is where I get tripped up, okay? Compassion is, um, you know what? I could look at you and say, well, if you just hadn't, and if you'd have said this, or if you'd have done that different, or if you'd have not, you know, I could say if you hadn't, if you hadn't, if you hadn't, then you wouldn't be facing this consequence. But compassion goes, no, no, no. Okay, that may be true, and we may have to get to that conversation eventually. But compassion says, who you are matters way more to me than what you have done. So, we're not gonna start by focusing on what you've done. We're actually gonna start by focusing on the value and the worth and dignity you have in the eyes of God. So, you ought to have it in the eyes of me because I follow God. So, I'm gonna meet you where you are and I'm gonna to try to feel what you feel and walk alongside you through it. That's what compassion is. So, you can figure out, you know, my red and my yellow, my green. If you're green, don't come tell me. It'll just make me feel bad, you know? I just feel like this one's hard. So, anyway, compassion. And then the next one, the next one he mentions is kindness. Now, I need to differentiate here because kindness is not niceness. Okay? A lot of nice people. Every one of you think you're nice people, all right? You do. If you you know, if somebody, you just nobody thinks they're they're rude and mean. So so you think you're nice. But here's the difference between the two: niceness is passive. So you can be a really, really nice person and never actually act and do anything for anybody. Now, y'all know folks like that. You're like, they are so nice. But they don't ever actually engage with somebody in a helpful way. They're just nice, you know? They're just polite. They're just nice. Kindness is very different. Kindness is not passive. Kindness is active. Here's your definition of kindness. It's loaning your strength to another. That's what kindness looks like. I see you in a situation where you are weak, where you are struggling, where you could use some help, where it's not easy for you. And what kindness does is kindness says, I'm going to step into that situation, and I'm going to loan you my strength to help you where you're weak. I'm going to loan you my strength to help you where you're struggling. Kindness goes, I'm going to get in here with you. This is why kind people serve, kind people give, kind people engage. Nice people don't do any of that. Nice people just consume. Nice people are like, oh, this is so nice. Nice people hear about somebody struggling and go, I'm so sorry. You know, my thoughts are with you. Or if you're a Christian, we say, well, my, I'm praying for you, you know, which is fine. But that, that's not kindness. Kindness, that's niceness. Kindness says, no, I'm going to step in here with you. And I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to do. I'm going to act. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, we're following Jesus. If we're following our king, then we shouldn't be known for our niceness. We ought to be known for our kindness. They're two very different things. And then he says next, you ought to be known for humility, for humility. Now, here's, here's the thing about humility. Humility is just having a proper perspective of yourself. So what Paul's saying is followers of Jesus ought to be known as there are people who appropriately see themselves in relation to God and to others. It's that old quote, and I don't know who said it first. But the whole universe is comprised with one trifling exception of others. You ever heard that? It's, a, it's taking you a minute. Think, think, yeah, it's talking about you. So anyway, that's, that's the thing, right? When you're humble, it's not that you think less of yourself, but Paul's going, when you're humble, you just think of yourself less. You're thinking of others more. You realize, okay, I have this appropriate sense of smallness in my life, not, not a inappropriate sense not an unhealthy sense just a sense of I realize my place and no matter what I got going on in my world no matter how much I've accomplished no matter how much I have you know no matter how good things are going in the grand scheme of things you know the world doesn't revolve around me I'm I've just got appropriate smallness here I know where I stand in relation to God and I know where I stand in relation to others and so again this humility and kindness go together because humble people are like, well, it doesn't matter who I am or what I got going. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give. I'm here to loan the strength I have to you. I'm not going to use it for my own benefit. So he says, followers of Jesus, this is what they look like. They're full of compassion. They're known for their kindness, for their humility. And then he goes on, he says, for their, for their gentleness, for their gentleness, which, again, is one of those that I'm just, you know, I don't want to grade myself out on. But here's what gentleness is. Gentleness means... Gentleness means my strength is under control. That's all it is. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness just means when I step into a situation and I realize I have the upper hand or I wonder if I can get the upper hand, I don't even try to get it. I don't use my strength to dominate, to dominate the conversation, to dominate the decision, to dominate the relationship, to dominate the situation. I don't try to do that. No, gentleness is... I step in and I govern my strength. I put a restrictor plate on it. I just throttle it back where it equals yours. That I'm not going to try to overpower you with my strength. In other words, I'm going to try to meet you where you are. And together, we're going to try to figure out whatever it is that we're dealing with. Which for some of you... And I'm one of them, okay? For some of you, that's just not your nature, is it? Your nature is just to come in, take charge, and be powerful, and get things done, you know? And so this idea of, whoa, I don't want to have to throttle back and beat somebody at their level of strength. Paul says, well, this is what followers of Jesus do. Because that's what shows dignity and value to the people around you. That's what expresses and communicates that. And then he says, and patience. Okay, this is what you all be known for. You all be known for patience. So if you've been green the whole way through, A, you're a liar, and B, this one ought to get you, right? This one ought to get you. You know what patience is? It's moving at the speed of the other person. That's all patience is, which again is just, that's difficult for some of us. Patience says, I'm not going to go as fast as I can go. I'm going to, Set my speed to your speed so we can go together. I'm going to prioritize you, the person, over progress. And again, some of us are wired where we just want to make progress, progress, progress. Let's do as fast as we can. The problem is we, we get to the finish line and we turn around and nobody's with us. We just left everybody behind that we care about, you know. Paul's going, no, no, no. Jesus' followers learn to slow down and accommodate to the pace of the other person. Now, just quick pause before we move on. When you think about what our king, what our leader did for us when he came to this world, this is exactly what he did. The most powerful person in the world said, I'm not going to point out all the flaws. I'm perfect. I'm not going to point out all the flaws. I'm going to show compassion first. The most powerful person in the world said, I'm, I'm not going to use my strength for my own benefit. I'm going to demonstrate kindness I'm gonna loan my strength to you I'm gonna demonstrate gentleness I'm, I'm gonna dial it back meet you where you are I'm gonna be patient I mean think about think about how fast Jesus could have moved but he moved at the pace that the people around him could move at instead of the pace that he was capable of moving now the thing is and I don't feel bad because you're not doing so great on this self-evaluation I get it I'm with you and here's the thing none of us get this right all the time but those of us who follow Jesus, A, ought to be getting better at this Amen. as we go along. This ought to be something that people are like, huh, you're way more patient than you used to be. Every now and then they ought to look at you and say, wow, that was, that was such a gentle response. You know, you never used to, you know, they, there ought to be noticeable change over time. And when we don't get it right with each other, when somebody else doesn't get it right with us, Paul says, oh, yeah, there's one more thing you ought to be known for. He says, because everybody's not going to get right all the time. So he says, why don't you, when when things get rough, why don't you bear with each other? Instead of canceling each other, instead of just saying, I'm not dealing with them anymore, I'm not talking to them anymore, I'm not going to be around them anymore. He says, no, no, why don't you bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone? Why would I do that, Paul? Because I gave him like three chances. That was really generous of me. You know, three chances, and they keep blowing it. He says, well, why don't you forgive as the Lord forgave you? How many chances did, has he given you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Why would you have to bring that up, you know? He goes, this is our model. So if you're following the king, this is what you got to be known for. This is what he was known for. You can't follow someone and not become like that person. And then he ties it all together. You remember I mentioned earlier this single solitary command that Jesus gave just before his arrest and his crucifixion where he said, Hey, guys, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. Well, that became the only rule in the kingdom for these early Jesus followers. I mean, that was their marching orders. And Paul ties all of this together. And Here's what he says next. He says, over all these virtues, why don't you put on love? Which is this command. He's basically saying, if you will love others the way Jesus loves you, well, you're going to demonstrate that through compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, forgiveness. He says, which binds them all together. In perfect unity. So as Jesus followers, this is the point, as Jesus followers, we should not be thought of, we should not be known for, well there's a rule-keeping bunch of people. That should never be what comes to the minds of the people who know us, of the people around us. We ought to be known for relationship building because that is what our Savior was known for. That is what he came and modeled and demonstrated for all of us. And there is a danger. Listen, this this will explain a lot for some of you who grew up in certain churches. There is a danger. When you focus on rule keeping, you know what happens. When you focus on rule keeping, it's no longer personal. No, no, no. Rule keeping is just black and white. It's very impersonal. And in rule keeping, I get to judge you. That's all I have to do. Well, you didn't keep the rules as well as I did. I just get to judge you. But you know what following Jesus does? And this is the beauty of this. Following Jesus focuses me on where I am rather than where you are not. If I'm following Jesus and he's my standard, I'm not focused on how am I keeping the rules better than the person next to me. I'm going, okay, well, I'm growing in compassion, but I'm not where I need to be at. I'm not worried about where you are and how much compassion you show. I'm not worried about where you are and how much patience you're demonstrating. It's just, nope, I got a long way to go, so I'm not about to judge anybody else. I'm just going to focus on growing and, you know, I'll encourage them while they grow and together we'll figure it out. It focuses me on where I am and You know, the distance I still have to grow, not on where somebody else is. Another way of saying it is this, the more conscious I am of the work God still has to do in me, the less critical I am of the work he still has to do in you. It's true, isn't it? The only reason you're ever critical of other people is if you think you're superior to them. This is why, and we don't have time to talk about this in depth, this is why AA works so well. AA works so well because a group of individuals get in a room together and go, ain't none of us better than anybody else in here. They're on a level playing field, and they all grow, and they all grow. But when you're critical, and I'm the same way when I'm critical, what's behind that criticism is self-righteousness. It's, well, I think I'm better than that, so I'm going to criticize you because I would never, I would never. But the more conscious I am of where I need to grow and the work God has to do in me, the less critical I'm going to be of you. So let me ask you two questions, and honestly they're intertwined, but these two questions maybe will give you something to think about and something to consider as you move forward this week. First question is this, how well, if you're a follower of Jesus, how well do you resemble your king, and how well do you represent your king? Because if you want to boil it down, that's, this is our overarching, grand, general purpose in life. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's to, it's to represent Jesus and to, to resemble Jesus in this world to give people a glimpse of what it would have been like to have interacted with jesus personally so how well do you resemble your king if you find yourself veering towards rule keeping instead of relationship building if we go through that list and you're like actually you know i don't know that people would call me patient i don't know they'd even say they've noticed a, a difference in my level of patience over the years it's getting worse it's not getting better you know I don't know that gentleness has ever been used to describe me. I don't know about compassion or kindness, whatever. Listen, this is what we should be known for. This is, should be our hallmark. Jesus said, by this kind of love, the kind of love that Paul just described, by this kind of love, everyone's going to know that you're my disciple, that you're my follower, that you are a follower of the king. So, when we fail at this, and we could tell stories all day, right, of ourselves and, you know, church experiences we've had, but when people who claim to be followers of Jesus fail at this, the damage, you know this, the damage is severe. People lose sight of who Jesus actually is and the love he has for them because we misrepresent him to a world who can and only should, I mean, I don't blame them, who can and only should assume that the way those of us who claim to follow Jesus treat them is how God would treat them too. So there's more riding on this than just, "Ah, you know, I'd like to be a little better person. Now, if you're like me and you're like, I definitely have room to grow, and I sure probably need to switch and be less critical of others and way more focused on where I need to grow. Well, I want to give you a couple tips as we close. The first one is this. What if you just started every day, or maybe when you were getting ready to go into a conversation or an interaction, you know, or about to walk into work or school or whatever, what if you just started those moments by saying, God, would you just help me to see people the way you see people? And would you help me to treat people the way you would treat them? That simple prayer will do wonders. I'll tell you why it'll do wonders. It goes with part two. Because once you pray that prayer, the other thing you can do Is what I call just pay attention and stay in step. Pay attention and stay in step. Because here's the thing, and this is where if you're not a follower of Jesus, you figure out how to develop these qualities for yourself. You're probably a better person than me. I can't do it on my own. And I know I can't do it on my own. There's only so far I can go before I revert back to what's natural for me. So I know I have to pray that and ask God to help me. And then when I find myself in those situations, what I know happens is that God's Spirit Shows up and taps on my heart and goes, you ought to pay attention because you're about to, you know, power up and you should be gentle. You're about to just be nice and you should be kind. You're, you're about to get in a hurry and you should be patient with them. And when he taps on my heart, if I will just pay attention and go, oh, yeah. I'm not going to do what's natural to me here. All right, God, help me to be patient. Help me to be forgiving. Help me to be loving. You know, whatever that looks like. If I'll just pay attention and stay in step in that moment, you know what happens? And this is the amazing thing to me. God uses my cooperation with him to change my heart, to change my character, to make my nature a little less like me and a little more like him. And the more I cooperate, don't get it right every time, but, you know, mess up and just come back. All right, I'm going to pay attention, stay in step next time. The more I cooperate, the more change happens. So. For those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, the good news is, and you know this, if you actually demonstrated these qualities like Jesus did to all the people in your life, your relationships would be so rich. They would be so strong. They would be so much better. And it's capable, it's it's possible for you to experience those kinds of relationships. You're capable of doing that, not on your own, but because You have the Spirit of God inside of you who's wanting to cooperate with you if you'll cooperate with Him. So, let's become known for what our king, what our leader was known for. Let's become known as people who love in very practical ways. Let me pray for us. Father, I would be the first to admit that... um, Living this way just isn't natural. And honestly, for some of us, we, we hear this and we're like, well, that wouldn't even work in my world. People take advantage of me. And, you know, we, we just come up with so many excuses and reasons, but we forget that, well, Jesus, you did it, and you literally changed the world. Paul figured it out and accomplished more in his lifetime than any of us ever will. So maybe it's worth us leaning into this this week. Would you just make us aware when we are on the verge as a follower of yours in relating to someone in a way that's self-righteous, critical, that lacks compassion or patience, would you help us pay attention in those moments and then stay in step with your spirit to cooperate with you and over time help us to grow and become the kind of people who more and more consistently look and act and relate to others the way you do with us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.